0: This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse about education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast and the blog. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes so that we can grow this community of educators. Welcome to Episode 5. My name is Darren Ralston. I'm the producer of the podcast. This episode we're going to be talking about The Art of Coaching Teams by Elena Aguilar. This is her most recent book on coaching. Uh, Joining me in the studio is Maureen Jensen. You'll remember her from uh, the first episode where we talked about uh, The Art of Coaching. Um, also, we have uh, John Hobson in the studio as well. Uh, both are from Albemarle County Schools and are lead coaches. Uh, it's a good uh, conversation. Why don't we go ahead and jump in? Any questions about what we're doing? I mean, you
1: were—I'll just roll about- with it. Um had to like. It was conversational. Yeah, that's. I mean,
0: that's the idea, because otherwise it gets to, I mean, it's just a book report. Yeah. Uh,
1: John mm-hmm. Hobson, uh, lead coach. Uh, I facilitate the social studies content advisory team. Um, I also work with the Albemarle cluster of instructional coaches, and um, I'm also the facilitator for athletic directors in Albemarle County.
2: Uh, Maureen Jensen, I'm also a lead coach in Albemarle. Um facilitate English K-12, gifted education, a program we have in the division called AVID, and I work with an elementary cluster, the Hollymead cluster.
0: Great. So we're going to talk about uh, the art of coaching teams today. That's a, another Aguilar book. Um, if you recall, we uh, we had a discussion with Maureen on the art of coaching, which was the first book that uh, Aguilar put out, and uh, so we're going to follow up with this. So just to kind of start things off, let's maybe talk about the role of teams and what we do as coaches.
2: I think that um, you can look at it from two perspectives, coaches uh, in the school and coaches working with other coaches. Um, so, you know, in the school, coaches could work with teams like PLCs or departments um things like that outside when we're thinking about coaches working with coaches we in for our coaching model in admiral county public schools we have this um cluster model where um coaches um meet in their own plc um three four five coaches are in a plc and that's a team that they have and then also there's the larger instructional coaching plc which would have all of our instructional coaches um that's um provide coaching to 20 or 26 schools in the division so those are the you know just an overview of the kinds of teams um, that coaches participate in
1: yeah and I, I mean they're even more sort of maybe ad hoc teams or uh, we have a novice coach team for instance uh, that works together um, or there's these professional development teams and so I think it sort of suggest that we believe in this teaming concept not only among our coaches but uh, in the county in general you're seeing this this movement towards teaming up
0: so um, when we look at the cluster part in order just to clarify a little bit um, what constitutes a cluster for us and then we'll get back to this idea of going with like the plc's and, and this move towards teaming
1: coaches aren't assigned to just one school and they're not under the purview of the principal of that school uh, but coaches um, work in a cluster and they serve multiple schools um, so for instance in uh, the cluster that I facilitate uh, we work with we have five coaches and they work with five different schools not all of them work in all of those schools they are assigned to generally three schools um, but this cluster is um, a group that meets regularly on a weekly basis um, to to share the work for sure, but also to uh, be a professional learning community um, to sort of problem solve together and push push our practice forward.
0: With the um, with the book, the art of coaching teams. One of the things that I detected as sort of the um, overriding principle that she seems to be going for is that the coach is kind of the leader in the team and. I just wanted to, that was something that was kind of surprising to me because when I came to it, I was coming from sort of the perspective that we have in the district here as a coach, not maybe a lead coach, which both of you are, Mm -hmm. but as a coach who's working with the teachers. Um, I've been involved with PLCs and with project groups, but I'm not the leader of those. And I try very hard not to be seen as the leader in those groups. Um, based on sort of the, the way that we view ourselves according to the model. Um, in, in that regard, there's a bit of a disjointed uh, sense of purpose compared to what she's uh, approaching. So how would you reconcile that? Or or in, in what way would you say that um, we can make use of maybe some of the approaches that she's discussing as... And she she conflates the idea of facilitator and leader, leader even mm-hmm. you know which is kind of com- confusing to me mm-hmm. so
2: yeah in the beginning of the book she says I'm going to use this word and it's going to mean and this word and this word and this word and it's all going to mean the same thing I just want you to know right. that and then so she does say uh, I'm going to use the word leader and I'm going to use the word facilitator and and I mean the same thing but I was also you know even with the art of coaching when we talked about that before um, you know there it's sh- Aguilar talks about a much more uh, directive approach right. to instructional coaching. So you have to, you know, take a look at it and think, hmm, that doesn't really exactly line up with what we do in Amarillo County Public Schools. Um, this book, The Art of Coaching Teams, I think is perfect for an administrator in our division, Mm -hmm. a department chair in our division, uh, someone who leads PLCs. Uh, The coach has to look at it through just a little bit of a different lens, but I think everything can still apply. Um... it it would just I think it would just be how how would this information impact the way I interact with teachers Um, and I wish I had I could think of some of the things that right off the top of my head but there's lots of lists in this book or questions for you to reflect
0: she has a lot of tools in this one that you know there's a huge appendix 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 there's (laughs) a huge you know uh, there's a huge (laughs) appendix in the back full of of tools and, and checklists and and things like that
2: yeah i mean so the things where she says creating agendas for team meetings that's not what we're going to do as coaches in admiral county you're not gonna...
0: not definitely not at my level right i mean right. when when you guys run a run a plc for the coaching group on mass then right. that is different different
1: but, right yeah but one way you could read this as a coach an instructional coach that could be helpful is uh you're right in our model, we're shying away from being the capacity, being the leader, but we may be in positions to support people who are leading PLCs. Mm -hmm. And so in that way you could use this as a text to help that person Mm -hmm. be that facilitator and leader. Um, And I think another way you might look at this is, even though it's about the art of coaching teams, you could look at a lot of the checklists and the tools as a way of examining your partnerships. Mm -hmm. In a way a partnership is a two-person team right Uh, and so i think there's a lot that you can sort of apply to that um to your partnerships Mm -hmm.
0: well one of the things i saw in there that i thought was probably uh, a good way to approach teaming with with coaches is uh is having the process observer Mm -hmm. um position she had in a couple different uh sections had mentioned that uh playing the role of a process observer or having Somebody whose role it is to do that. Um, And, I mean, she's got it all broken down. There's so many things. I mean, I can't imagine anyone ever using all of them. That would be maddening. But, uh, you know, like checking off, like, how many times people are responding and in what fashion, um, tracking the conversation and and people's um, cooperation or, or, or contribution to the uh conversation i can see that being helpful as a coach so
2: i also think um you know in the i guess it's the first chapter she talks about how the vision is very important for the team um and while the coach wouldn't set the vision come Mm -hmm. in and say in 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 a team of with teachers a plc i'm thinking about um they can ask questions about what the vision is mm-hmm. and what you're, you know... Sort of
0: guide towards yeah. it. Yeah, so
2: it's, well, it, yeah. it, it, it would help... This is a list of to-dos almost for a leader, but the coach can easily tur- easily turn that into questions and think about. So, what's our what is our product by the end of today, or what is our product by the mm-hmm. end of this school year, and how are we going to agree to work? So, just sort of flipping that around a little bit, and it just I think it would just help coaches keep those kinds of things um, on the front burner. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get involved in the work and. You can look around and say, "Hmm, I'm not sure everybody's working towards the same target right now." Right. But yeah. I could ask that question mm-hmm. just to clarify, to see, to make sure, make sure that we are. So, um, I, I see a lot of benefits for in this book for for coaches and the way they work every day.
0: Yeah. Well, I think uh, you know, like that idea of questioning the purpose or whatever. She comes. Pre- it comes pretty clearly to me that um, she does advocate for somebody just being very open about. Not necessarily accusatory, but being observant in a vocal way, you know, like you know, the the, the feeling in this room is, is seeming to be something like this. Is why am I feeling that? And and sort of st- saying, man, y'all are off task. You know, it's it's not it's not that. It's more. Of a question of <laughs> of being, you know, very openly observant of something and then asking people to respond to why you feel you're observing that. Right. And yeah. I
1: think that speaks to the qualities of uh, emotional intelligence that she's right. referencing in Chapter 4 or 5. Yeah. Uh, I
0: definitely want to get deeper into that because that seems to be a very strong component to what she's saying. Yeah. So... I mean what what are your thoughts on on the way she approaches emotional intelligence in this because it's something I think you know a lot of people don't consider when they're looking to go into a meeting is how do I want to be perceived how do I want
1: So I think and th- that particular chapter I think just has a, a could have a you know great resonance for our coaches because we do spend so much of our time working in teams and I think what that chapter does is it kind of lays out You know, the sort of criteria of what emotional intelligence is, and I won't go through it because I'm sure I'll forget one of the aspects of it. But um, I think just that first step of Mm -hmm. self-awareness, you know, is what it you know, how am I feeling or how am I uh, reacting to certain things so that I, you know, I'm aware that I'm angry about this that would lead to that. Okay, the second step, how do I regulate that Mm -hmm. in a meeting situation? I'll let you
2: continue, Maureen. Yeah, I I was just—I was thinking about. She sets it up the self-awareness and self-management. You know, I recognize and I can figure out how to respond. Um, Because some of the things that I'm sure happen in PLCs that I've been a part of too, um, sometimes coaches want to say, "What the heck is happening?" or "What the heck is going on?" But that whole idea too, or. Some of them are, you know, work on their language, but still, the body language is right, quite yeah. revealing yeah. on how they're <laughs> feeling. So, just that, okay, I feel this way, and I'm going to manage my emotions this way. But then, the the next step she goes into is the social awareness, and then the social and the social management or the relationship management. And I wonder if we. Um, don't do a great job of those second two
0: you mean at present yeah
2: or or talk about or think Mm -hmm. about more about um the empathy and feeling of others um and putting ourselves in their shoes um because i think as teachers and i'll speak very generally here we're often getting things done Right, right. Yeah, And we've got to move, and we, this this. and we have this product, and we have this target, and that's our work as coaches because it's going to get on the kids' desks. Mm-hmm. But recognizing what others are going through or the other pressures that the teacher has just been given by the principal or parents or colleagues and sort of pumping the brakes on the production yeah. Um to to recognize and have empathy for all of the variables that are influencing their world. I think I, I know I would uh be a better coach thinking more about that.
1: Um I think it speaks to that tension that we were we were chatting about earlier about uh, a professional learning community being a place where there's this sort of balance or there's maybe a tension between, you know, nourishment that you're getting something out of this meeting or you're, you're at least having some emotional release or whatever that nourishment might mean versus getting things done. And I think on teams, if you were just, a, if there was a dichotomy in this world, you know, there's those who want to get things done and there are those that are, that need that have other needs, right. you know, whether it's, they have to get something off their chest um, or they need to laugh, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, they need to have some fun or, or some, some sort of connection before they can get things done. And so um, just being aware of that on your on the teams that you work on and sort of being able to respond to those different sorts of personalities is important.
2: It's on page uh, 64, the line I, just, I underlined, Aguilar says, I strive to find the balance between production and nourishment, as John talked about. Mm-hmm. And she said she wanted to have people feel or even even say out loud uh, I can't wait until our next meeting
0: right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean if we, could get are we to do this again if we yeah. could get to
2: that then we found the balance between being productive and being nurturing to each other and having mm-hmm. fun um so I think that's sort of like your your marker of a successful like when are, when are we going to do this again does everybody feel that way in yeah. the group
0: uh, that seems to be you know the ultimate goal of where she's going with with this and um I really, I think, getting to the emotional intelligence and also that sense of purpose, she spends a lot of time talking about the front-loading that comes in before you even get into the group.
1: So I think uh, one of the things I think from Chapter 5 that I found useful about that sort of front-loading concept and how much time, you know, because it is this huge investment of time, but I think a little rule of thumb that she supplies is that, you know, the amount of time that you spend front-loading on norming or sort of Mm self-awareness should be proportionate to the amount of time that you're going to spend together. Right. Um, and so, in our instructional coach clusters or IC PLC, we spend a lot of time with each other, and PLCs spend a lot of time with each other. If it's just a team for a week, or you know, to a committee, a committee versus right, a team, right. the time spent front loading doesn't need to be um, as extensive as right. that. Right? So it's probably more applicable to what you
0: guys do as leads.
2: Unfortunately. I think a lot of our work is in response to it not working. So I mean,
0: it's like after the fact. Yeah, I mean, it's a
2: reaction. It. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. being you know reactive rather than proactive in setting up PLCs. I, I find, and I think as we as more people read this book and it's in the hands of a lot of people now, mm-hmm. inclu- not just the coaches but uh, yeah. administrators as well. well. I think
0: it's probably you know, like you said, I think it probably. Belongs yeah,
2: there I think there there seems to be more of a, okay, let's talk about this in July with, can I talk to you about this in July or in August and think about um, the front loading mm-hmm. so it's not coming back and trying to fix something uh, with a PLC or a department or something like that. So um, I think we're, we're getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most a lot of our work, though, is like, hmm, there's a problem now right? Yeah. rather than, hmm, let's work on this so we're there there won't be
1: a problem. I think just as maybe the nature of being an administrator is that you have to sort of get things done. Right. And so front-loading uh, seems like one of the sort of expendable things. I just don't have time for that. And I think you know, that um, quotation that she cites in Chapter 5 about culture eats strategy for yeah. breakfast is something that we all could uh, take to heart. Well, I think oh, we wow. we mentioned the other day in about what makes – uh, coaching successful and we talked about that time for reflection mm-hmm. you know and i think uh for administrators or for leaders there's maybe a little bit more time uh in the summer to so yeah. sl- i think that's what coaching does if you if you use it it slows it down and it puts a mirror to the process mm-hmm. but if you're just constantly churning forward um you
2: have to be willing to slow down to do- yeah. Yeah. then
1: you're only
0: using your rearview mirror right, <laughs> yeah. right. and
2: that's
1: you're right. reacting yeah. um so um yeah just found that interesting
0: you know just looking at the type of teaming that happens in an administrative level um, it seems to me like there would be a huge benefit to doing some of that Mm self-analysis so
2: and what do all of those people experience in common so that when they go out to all these different hallways in the Mm -hmm. school you can feel as an administrator thinking from within that you know from the administrative lens that that the same kinds of interactions are happening, whether I'm in red hall or purple hall or blue hall or green hall or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, what, what does that look like in August for everybody? Right. Um, and I bet there's a lot in this book that can support an administrator an administrator to reach out to a coach or a lead coach and say, you know, help me think about this. Um, this would be the perfect book for something like that.
1: I think, um, Sort of broadly speaking, um, if I think the intention, part of the intention of the coaching model and the lead coaches, you know, we don't call ourselves coordinators. You know, we use the term facilitators, and I think there's this philosophy about coaching that we would like to see spread. You know, to administration. So you notice a lot of lead coaches will often become right. administrators, and I think there's a that's a purpose there that we're hoping that. You know, administrators certainly develop some coaching skills, uh, but also are more collaborative and reflective in their practice. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, and, I mean, it seems to be from, from the experiences I've had with, with coaches going into admin, they, there is a definitely different approach to that position than, you know, people who are coming in without it. You know, not necessarily that it's better or worse, but it's, you know, it's, it's detectable.
1: It's a different conception Mm -hmm. of leadership. Right. Um, um, but there's multiple ways to be a leader. Um, I think this is a, a philosophy that, you I think we certainly believe in because we live it all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's not the only one. Yeah.
0: Um, one of the things that I detected in here that, I mean, it was kind of hinted at in the art of coaching, um. And has definitely become a big thing with her blog is that uh, she seems very interested in um, social justice, equity. Uh, She echoes a lot of what's put forth in, uh, you know, culturally responsive uh, teaching, cognitive coaching, Um, and it gets brought up in here, but it doesn't seem to be very explicit that that's what she's heading towards. She doesn't really, like, she doesn't cite uh, culturally responsive practice directly, but really shows evidence of the awareness of it. Does that make sense?
2: Well, and she also says, and I can't, I don't know if it's in the chapter that you're talking about, I know, I think it's in, definitely in chapter nine, and it may be earlier than that, that in her model, in her, the, the way she sees instructional coaching, that coaches have Um, the obligation to interrupt or disrupt whatever Mm -hmm. were the inequities that they see in the classroom. Right. Um, um, So along the lines of her sort of pushing that that's sort of the coach's role. And I just, when I read that, I thought it was interesting considering what we're talking about in our ICPLCs right now about our model and an asset based you know, n- not deficit. We're looking at what's going well, teacher led, but then also this other thing that if what's happening is not good, the best for kids, what's what does the coach do? Right. Um, and she would say you'd go right after it because that's the the, mm-hmm. the lens that she's looking through. But that, I thought that was interesting for something for us to talk about, like right, w- what what do you do? Well, that, and that's a
0: a, that is with our model the way it is, it's hard because. You know, and we talked about this in our last meeting as a full group of coaches, Um, you know, where do you sacrifice a relationship for a goal, right? Whether it's, I mean, is what is happening in that relationship with your with your teacher is it productive is it not productive or you know like you're saying are you noticing something that is completely being unaddressed mm-hmm. right and with our model being you know something where you're invited in to participate in a project or a goal with a teacher setting a goal with the teacher versus being sent in um, there's a bit of tension there because i mean how do you de- how do you deal with that you know i noticed you weren't calling on any students of color <laughs> that is that would lead to a pretty intense conversation in some uh in some situations you know
1: could do you, you bring yeah that up? could you as in a more facilitative way um address that Push towards that issue.
0: Well, right. You'd want to finesse pull, it much or pull more. Pull
1: the teacher towards that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know. So can you be kind of mission centered? Because I think that's. You know, she talks about moral imperatives a lot, or just having this sort of you know, real clear in her head about mm-hmm. you know um, the purpose of education mm-hmm. and. And I think she would say that coaches need to be equally as clear about that. So when do we, or how do we as coaches in our model, where we are um, working at the invitation of teachers and so much of our relationship is built on a foundation of trust Mm -hmm. and we're working by invitation only, um, how do we support the other part of our mission, um, which is about supporting the continuous improvement of assessment, instruction, and curriculum? But in a way that preserves the relationship. And then at some point, you know, is there, are there times, I think this was brought up the other day, as you just mentioned, do we sacrifice that relationship or do we take, how do we take a risk Mm -hmm. in our model Mm -hmm. to support, um, you know, what's best for kids?
2: It seems to be an assumption that that conversation would, and we seem to operating that that's going to harm the partnership, which. It
0: might not. I mean, it might, it might not. Right. You know, I mean, I think it would. Depend on how... The
2: relationship already right. established that...
0: You know, first time in might not stronger. be a
2: good idea. <laughs> right, no.
0: But, you right. know. Um, but I think it's interesting, and this was something I thought about after our last uh, full meeting with, with all the coaches was, if you're taking a risk where there's a potential at losing a relationship, in a relationship where if you persist in a way that you're dancing around a specific major issue, is there actually any net gain or loss by that relationship perhaps falling by the wayside? You know, if you're not addressing something that's beneficial, is there actually a risk there anyway?
2: Right. Right? right. Or, or could um, maybe bringing it up, losing the partnership, but planting a seed for mm-hmm. the teacher yeah. to reach out to a different a coach next year to mm-hmm. I don't know something it, it, do you keep going the way it's going the status quo right or do you just
0: because st- the status quo would persist if you right. if they if they shut you off right even if you so to what extent if that occurs does it um, does it maybe affect the bigger picture of the model mm-hmm. you know what I mean.
1: If you sab- it, it, not, not sabotage—well,
0: sabotage. <laughs> but, but say
1: so, one relationship or partnership goes by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Does that have an impact right. on?
0: Because the, the you whole know, world? I mean, that creates an impression of what a coaching relationship is in that one instance.
1: I, right, and so I guess it would. Is that is that a real risk, or, or is that a real, um, or is that our perception of? What
0: yeah, I know, doing? and then, like this is all hypothetical right. right now, but you know that's I've never heard of it even happening, right? Right. But you know, as I was thinking from our discussion the other day, I was thinking, well, you know, is it a loss? And then I'm like, well, if it's a not a loss to the actual boots on the ground, how the kids are are getting their education. How does it affect the mission of what we do, though, right? Thinking of all the stakeholders. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's food for thought. I don't expect to, mm-hmm. us to solve it. Mm-hmm. You know? Well,
2: I also think that um, from the experiences that I've had and um, hearing from my cluster and other coaches that um, this problem of um, actualizing a teacher's goals or... or like you have to do or but supporting the continuous improvement of curriculum instruction and assessment really does happen more often in the plc right. it's easier actually to work and massage that relationship or when it's the one-on-one but it's when all of the uh, plc members get in the room and all the values and belief systems are bouncing back all and the the path is hard to see so as we get back to like the art of coaching teams i think that's what coaches that are in plc's they're struggling with that the most is it you know are we doing the right thing for kids here because then the next teacher chimes in and has a different direction and the next teacher chimes in and has a different direction so i think that's that's a Mm -hmm. struggle for coaches more in 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 groups um rather than one-on-one partnerships
0: right right um, I do think, uh, though, that she does provide some good tools as an entree into
2: mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. Um,
0: and one of the things, and this ties back into the culturally responsive uh, teaching and the brain uh, podcast that we did, um, we had talked at length about, you know, how to get uh, a, a read on, you know, equity and things like that. Um, but she has an a observation tool where it's, you know, there's demographics included in how... Uh, how the observation goes, so um, so that could be an in- entry in from from this. That would be you know if you set up like we do with observations. What are the goals of the observation? Here's what I was thinking we would do. It's there, and then it could just be more of a, a passive. Here's what I saw. I don't know. So
2: because would. Saying, you know, you've set up a plan, and would saying at the end of that interaction, um, hey, could I come in and observe and take some data on what we just did? Mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel that that's crossing a line if the teacher didn't say, would you come in and take data?
0: No, I th- well, I mean, if you've got a relationship that you've established, yeah. you know, if you're yeah. still really early on, it might be uncomfortable depending on the situation. That's right. But I would say, in general, most teachers that you've had a couple of uh, of sessions with, they're, they're going to be open to it.
2: Because I wonder if that could be sort of a standard, cl- not not in every interaction that you have, but sort of a standard closing question. We've made this plan. How are we going to know if it works? Mm-hmm. Would you be okay if I
1: observed? Right.
2: Yeah. And yeah. so then the data becomes the the talking point rather than what I saw and what I feel and what you saw and what you feel. Mm-hmm. But here's student work or, or data or right. the, the tally marks or whatever this is to, what we have. this is how we yeah. move forward in this you know in this situation mm-hmm. um rather than my values and beliefs versus yours or or anything like that so i think that'd be an interesting like what's that last question hmm, can how, you know what data can we take around this or how can i observe or you know what would that look like
0: i don't know i think an interesting question listening to you um might be even um, who do you think in the classroom got what you were mm-hmm. what you were teaching today? Yeah. you know, and how do you know they got it? you know and and I don't know, you know, like I said, I just I was just thinking of that as I was listening, so I don't even know if that's a fully formed idea, but I think something in that approach where it's almost like it's a good reflection uh, or a good reflective question. That leaves it open, and also it would be a good way for a coach to kind of get a read on what maybe the coach's blind spots are, what the teacher's blind spots are, I don't know, so.
1: Yeah, and I think in all of this, even though... Uh, her model may, you know, from our sort of perspective be a little bit more directive. I think it just reminds us that the tools of coaching, you know, the primary tool of coaching is questioning mm-hmm. um, and so how do we craft those questions um, that uh, will shift practice mm-hmm. right. uh, rather than just keep the conversation going, you know, or to yeah. fill a meeting.
0: Yeah. Th- so, uh, kind of looking at the teaming part of it again and getting into that, uh, that idea of uh, being culturally responsive. How do you bring that that culturally responsive um, goal into working with adults? Because I mean, we taught we sort of digress a little bit into focusing solely on students. Not that we don't want to do that, but bringing it back to the idea of teaming. We're talking about teaming with our peers. You know, I've heard research recently that you know that minority uh, teachers tend to feel like their opinions aren't valued as much in a in a school situation especially if they are in you know if they are in a very 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 distinct minority within um, within the staff of a school uh, how do we work with you know teaming in a way that we can really approach that culturally responsive piece
1: mm-hmm. well I I won't pretend to be able to deliver answers but I'll just you know, right, I don't expect you to solve it. If you can, that's but great. But I will say, but. what I notice, which is response, you know, which is uh, culturally responsive teaching um, in the brain has in common with maybe some of the things she talks about is with regard to emotional intelligence is the foundation is sort of knowing yourself, uh, which might just extend beyond just knowing how you react and feel about things, but knowing about your implicit biases. Um, So whether that's like taking the implicit biases test, uh, the Harvard, Mm -hmm. the Harvard Mm -hmm. stuff um, that may be in, and and being just cognizant that that's an issue Mm -hmm. first. um, And then, you know, that that you have biases or schools or systems have biases uh, that's that's a first step to addressing mm-hmm. um some of the the practices that happen in teams that um extend those but you know that 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 continue that process um so uh, i think that's a first step at least yeah.
0: and i think the thing that's really hard about it too you know is that it I would say it, it's unintentional when there are issues that come up around cultural, you know, responsiveness, whether it's in students or in, in groups. I mean,
2: And you have to be open to feedback and you have to ask for it and you have to be ready for feedback. So mm-hmm. how do you how do we build that feedback cycle in to our coaching practices? Um, how does a principal or assistant principal be, be build that feedback into um plc's or faculty meetings how do mm-hmm. they know how people feel as far as things like you know being included equity of voice um it, what's you know i don't i don't know if that's um um operationalized in a lot of the way in the, a lot of the ways that we work mm-hmm. um
0: Well, I feel like for our, and this is something that's different this year with is you guys as lead coaches have been putting out the uh, exit slip with a sort of, how do we do with our norms? Mm -hmm. At what point, if you didn't feel we adhered to the norms, at what point do you feel we diverge from them? You know, and I, I think, you know, looking at, at this book, that's something that she, she definitely mentions, just take a minute or two at the end of the meeting, you know, Once again, if it's one that's going to be recurring, like, say, a PLC year long, Mm -hmm. to really get some feedback around, okay, how did this one go? Mm -hmm. I don't know to what degree, you know, you all really delve into that, but do you want to maybe talk about a little bit about where that came from and and how you guys are using it? Well, we always always look at
2: it, and I think we look for, for it when it things like outliers, like, Whoa, that number is different than it. You Mm -hmm. know, if we're always cruising at a four, we're cruising at a four. And this is sort of how we've normed that, that number is going to be a four if everyone's, Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes back and the number is a little bit different, we, we sort of debrief and try to backtrack and think about, you know, the choreography of, of the meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, what, May have happened could have happened um, and thinking about troubleshooting for for future meetings
1: and when we're at our best, we're looking at our own practices and not the respondents and how right. they responded right We're examining how um, even if there is an outlier, well, why might they have felt that way That's right
2: that's where the emotional intelligence comes in that, right
1: <laughs> uh, regarding that and and sometimes even following up uh, with a particular person right, yeah if, if we if if we just they just felt like they missed the marker um totally
0: well i like that you know when when you have that opportunity for somebody to voice something that is confidential you know instead of it needing to be very public that you know and it might be obvious you know sometimes you can just tell who's not having a good time in a meeting Mm -hmm. yeah right but like other times it it can be very quiet and silent and then you know being able to come in after the fact one-on-one i could I can see that being Mm -hmm.
1: helpful. I would just add, back to the sort of equity issue, I think so, Mm -hmm. you know, the self awareness and the feedback are important. And I think another thing uh, that she talks about a lot is just the use of protocols in general that promote more equitable practices. She definitely has a lot of those too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so those are tools, and I think one of the intended purposes, you know, of those tools is that every voice is heard uh, as a result if you hold tight to a protocol if if the meeting is free form and there isn't structure well then traditional power structures will persist mm-hmm. so I think protocols have a way of disrupting uh, inequities were you getting re- I think you were getting ready to say something well I was just
2: playing. it was actually something a little lighter about the the feedback mm-hmm. from the from I notice you don't say IC, you purposefully don't say ICPLC because of... the, the
0: reason PLC. I say because I don't <laughs> I know that everybody to a, would know, know that I know I know just, <laughs> I, I, I just
2: every time you said the time that the whole group gets together yeah, I, I know I, I can yeah. see your purpose for that
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm like there's so many different words that get acronyms. <laughs> I know.
2: Well, I've said ICPLC so many yeah. times during this, I figured, oh, I'm just going to keep going. But right. uh, I think a lot of the feedback, I think, comes down to something like the Myers-Briggs mm-hmm. where um, the the... The procedure or the direction of the meeting was really more along the lines of the lead, the way the lead coaches work, Mm -hmm. you know, and our, you know, style, and we're similar in a lot of our. If you look at the Myers Briggs, so someone else will say, you know, so I just noticed that the feedback comes down to, you know, and she talks about that too, um, adjusting to making sure that we're doing a little bit for the extroverts too and you know just making sure so not getting down into really talking about um you know inequities but just i guess it is when you're thinking about the way someone prefers to work and they feel that they can't get to the learning target without working the way they want to work
0: right so yeah yeah, and i mean that's differentiated coaching coming right into the line with what we're talking about yeah. right and uh, the mbti uh, yeah. you know format and the you know like and, and we mentioned this in that podcast uh, you know the myers-briggs uh personality type it's it's maybe easier to use for us as coaches within the icplc <laughs> yeah, you big can boy form <laughs> See, but, is broken.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, I mean, it, it's maybe easier in that regard for us as as coaches with one another. But you know, one of the things that we've struggled with with that approach in the work with teachers is that you know how do you how do you do that without being overly directive? I mean, you can you can do it one on one, but you know, the whole purpose it seemed like with you know getting into KAIS was that you kind of come in knowing where you need to be to start off mm-hmm. right so I don't know anyways that's a bit of a digression
2: right but in, in a you know. really hard thing to do with teams and co- and being right in a especially PLC. large ones yeah you know. and and navigating and negotiating all those ways of being thinking working um, that's it's hard for a coach to, to I think be in a PLC and honor all the different uh, ways people work and then also feel like they're being productive as well right yeah
0: yeah <laughs> um, why don't we transition and, and maybe discuss a little bit about some of the difficulties of this book for what we do? I mean, I know we said you know that it does really seem to apply more to an admin-type uh, situation, but... Um,
1: We've probably already alluded to it. Um, so I think the way in which an instructional coach uh, reads this, they have to be sort of primed, that this isn't reflective of the model in which they... Uh, work and so that
2: of our, model. Of, our yeah. of
1: our model they're going to be uh, gleaning from it how can some of this inform the partnerships that I work with or how does this help me work with leaders of teams um, so that they're more effective leaders uh, uh, that the, the teacher is the more effective leader? so it's the idea that the coaches are not the capacity in our model and and, and the way the challenge in here is that it seems like the coach in this is a is a huge key right. player in the yeah. team. they're <laughs> leading. They're leading the team yeah. or facilitating, which is the same thing, right?
2: <laughs> According to Aguilar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that would be challenge number one, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I, when you were, you know, talking about the challenges, that I was actually thinking of another. Positive. <laughs> so I'm no, taking, this, taking this taking this down that, a different that. road. Um, just that because our because in in our coaching model, you don't come in to be a coach and stay until you retire. You go back out into the schools to be PLC leaders and department chairs, right. and uh, maybe assistant principals and things like that. So um, while the the language is directive in here, may not be you know uh, practical. Today or next year, pretty soon, yeah, this is going to be you somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a school, not as an instructional coach, but in a different capacity. So, um, I think having the coaches try some of these things out and um, have that background knowledge is going to really be helpful when they go into their next uh, endeavor in education.
0: It's not a direct how to. <laughs> And she does have some structures in there that can help you get there, but it's going to be more of a, of a reverse engineering That's in right. some Absolutely. cases to get someone else to be able to realize that process.
1: And one maybe additional thought here about that is that our cluster structure is a little bit flatter, even though the lead coach is you know positionally a leader of that PLC. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the, The model we have is that that cluster it's a it's a group of equals and so sort of just being aware of how teams work and being able to just from reading this book you know be aware of the things that are the dynamics of the team and everybody being responsible for the success of that team i think a lot of us uh were in buildings prior to this where we didn't have um maybe the best teaming experiences we may have had some positive ones but you know uh tended to have ones that weren't fully functional. And so it can be a total crapshoot, Right. And I think coming in the coaching model, we really aspire to having a really positive teaming experience. And so what is it? So this book helps sort of raise awareness of what is it, the things that we're trying to aspire to and that we're doing in our work. Mm Um, um, and so having that model there so that when you go back out into a building or working with a PLC lead or a team leader, uh, you can help them, or just when you re-enter the classroom, you're prepared to lead.
0: Well, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else to add? I mean, I feel like we, we got this one. I think you squeezed all <laughs> the <juice> out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right. <laughs> I loved, you know, for me – I needed, it just helps me sort of make sense of this book. The discussion. Know? The discussion, right? So um, it's just it's just hard for me to read something in isolation. And then, like, uh, it's yeah. hard for me to challenge myself to sort of make meaning of a situation if I don't go verbally process it um, with others. So this, great, you know. I
2: feel like your podcasts, are they cliff? Notes. the cliff's notes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know to say oh that's what that's about i'm gonna, not going to read it now but i'm going to keep it on my shelf and i now know if a teacher comes to me and is having trouble with their plc or you know i know that i it's in let's there let's check this one out. it's in yeah. there and i can pull it off the shelf and i can you know um help the teacher with, with what they need but
0: cool cool well thank you so much for uh, coming out to do this have fun doing this thank you thanks for organizing right. Yeah. yeah right on all right. so that's episode 5 thanks again to John and Maureen for an excellent conversation I always have fun talking with them um, the next episode, uh, episode six, is not going to be focused around a text. Instead, I decided to do something a little different, and this time uh, I brought in two teachers that I've worked with as a coach around some grant writing uh, that they've done and, they've, and that they've secured. Um, I figure that could be a good resource and also a way to look into some of the processes for these, um, these more... Uh, sort of mid-range grants, the the national-level ones. Um, so come back and join me for that. And uh, as always, please uh, check out theednarrative.com. I'll catch you later. Bye.